turn to the book of 1 John. 1 John chapter 2. We've been talking about the life stream of the Lord Jesus Christ, the life of Christ. And I, for one, am grateful that that life stream never freezes over. This time of year, it's, uh, it, in Colorado, you never know what to expect. And you also learn very quickly not to trust the weathermen, because they honestly do not know what they're talking about. It seems invariably, if they predict no snow, we get snow. If they predict uh, some snow, we get no snow. If they predict two inches, we get four or none. It's just, it's just crazy that way. And they get paid for that. That's amazing to me. We've talked about this life stream, living the life of Christ. And the more I comprehend it and think about it, the more overwhelmed I have with what we have in Christ. To, to truly drink from that stream, imagining all the incredible benefits from that stream. I think it is this Wednesday, might be the following Wednesday, in a study in Genesis, we're talking about God's creation. And one of the things we'll be discussing is, is God creating life and how in the original text, the Bible, it, it gives more specificity as far as his creation. And when he came to creating life in the waters or the main bodies of water, like oceans and seas, he talks about a, a multitude of life creatures. And I was studying it just a little bit this week and uh, studying what uh, are called plankton or, or zooplankton, and how, according to this particular site anyway, the zooplankton are the smallest animals in, in the ocean. And he said some of them are no larger than the width of a hair. Now that's, that's pretty small. Now I got some pretty thick hair, but still my hair's not that, not that thick. And, and, and they look a little bit like, some of them anyway, look a little bit like a shrimp. And so you can imagine a shrimp that is so tiny, you can only see it under a microscope. And then what I found fascinating was God made so many of them, or for the oceans to be so covered, they migrate with the tides. And I read that they are so plentiful in the oceans that you can actually see the migration from satellite. I saw a picture of the different kinds and the different color schemes covering large portions of the ocean. And then I found out that this kind of plankton, or a kind of plankton, actually becomes the major diet for a whale. Now imagine these tiny, tiny microscopic organisms filling up this enormous whale. Do you know that God designed that? It's incredible. And so the, the, the whale goes, he opens his mouth, and all this water comes through with all these nutrients. These little, these little animals are actually supplying all of his needs. What if? What if we could look into this life stream of Christ 
and see all of the spiritual organisms that are swimming around that. And if we truly had the ability to understand what we were digesting when we took of the life stream of Christ, it would literally blow your mind. 1 John 2.15 John writes, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. As I was reading through the book of 1 John, I noticed how many times in this area here the word world was mentioned. And it tends to be if God inserts a similar word frequently, that's for emphasis. He's trying to tell us something. And so what I want to bring a message today is on is the world, a counterfeit system. But I need God's help to do it, so let's bow for prayer. Dear Lord, I thank you for your love and for the fact that we can rely upon you for help, help for all of our needs. And I need you now as I preach. Help the words that I speak be your words. Help this message be your message. And help us to see clearly, I pray today, the difference between the life stream of Jesus Christ and that stream that the world has to offer. Thank you for what you're going to do. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to begin by comparing streams. The last few weeks we've talked about the life stream of Christ, and in that life stream we have found power to fulfill His will, the ability to do whatever He tells us to do. We've found knowing Christ and the Father are in this life stream. Eternal security is found in this life stream of Christ, as is divine fellowship. We can fellowship with the Father, with the Son, with other believers. A message is found in this life stream that God is light. Where is it found? In the life stream of Christ. An advocate in Jesus Christ and an advocate in the Holy Spirit. We found in this life stream the benefits of obeying His commandments. We found last week the light of Christ, loving one another, and the importance of every one of you, the importance of each individual church member, every one. Every one of you has, plays a vital role in the strength of the body of Christ, this church. So in this life stream, this life stream of Christ, that which if we were in our minds to picture going fishing, we go fish up the mountains, and we have this beautiful stream. You can see clear to the bottom. There's these gorgeous rocks reflecting the light. And then once in a while, you see this gorgeous trout swimming by. Oh, it's just spectacular. That is the image of this life stream of Christ. Adversely, we're told to love not the world. You see, the world has a stream also. But that stream, first of all, is going the opposite direction. <laughs> it's incredible. One stream goes this way, the other stream goes this way. 
And oh, instead of being able to look down and see the bottom of the stream so clearly where the rocks are reflecting the, the light of the sun, instead of that, you can't even see through the murky water. It's so dirty. You don't know what's in that water. It's, it's, it's nasty. It's got a, a smell to it. It reeks. You ever been out in the countryside and gone by a stagnant pool of water? One that's been there long enough to where it has this, this real nasty smell? This particular stream has a really nasty smell. We, uh, this past year, we went on our annual men and boys camp out. One of the highlights of my life is to go to the men and boys camp out. I enjoy it thoroughly. I enjoy being with the guys in just a different setting. I enjoy the cooking we do, the eating we do, the stories we tell. I just enjoy everything about it, except for <laughs> uh, where we were this particular time was uh, we hadn't been here this, this particular plot before, and it turned out pretty, pretty good. And there was a facility right across the little road. So you come the road, and then we're, we've got our tents on this side of the road. Basically, right across the road is a little facility, an outhouse, if you will. Now, it's not the kind of a restroom you would have at your home. If you've not been to what is a typical uh, park outhouse, it's, it, it's, 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 it's going to change your life. It really is. In fact, you know it's there as you're getting close to it. You can close your eyes and know it's there because of the pungency of the smell. And on a nice summer day, when it's had time to simmer for a while, that smell just covers the entire region there. So you don't have to wonder how to get to the outhouse because the smell tells you where it is. Now you walk in, if you dare, you walk into this particular one and you find out they've got a light on in there, which was really handy. Even though the light is really dim, and I didn't understand why the light was so dim until I used the facility. And then it hit me. They don't want you to look down in there and see what's floating around. They don't want you to know that. They want to make sure that you can't see down there because it's spooky down there. It is like a nightmarish dream looking down in there. And so you, you can't see, but you know because if you have the guts to do it, you look down there. But the smell, now your eyes are already watering. It's so bad in that. Now for just a moment, and only a moment, allow your mind to consider what must be down there and then realize that is ultra clean compared to the stream of the world you see the stream of the world is a spiritual cesspool and there is just nothing good worthy of jumping in and swimming in that cesspool. When I was a kid, we'd go to a park and we'd have one of these outhouses. I was scared to death and go to those things. Scared to death. I was always afraid I'd fall in. Now, it may have happened, but I've never heard of somebody falling in. But I can't imagine what that'd be like. But we live in a world today where people constantly are jumping in the world's cesspool. So what is there floating around in the cesspool of the world? Well, 2 Corinthians 4.4 begins by telling us, in whom the God of this world, there we go, 
of this world, of this world, hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. What's in this cesspool of the world's stream? Well, first of all, a cruel master who blinds his victims. There is a real devil, and he is really determined to keep all he can from escaping his clutches in hell. What kind of a monster would be so hateful to actually want somebody to suffer in hell for eternity? Well, that pretty well describes the devil. Secondly, in James 4, 4, it says, Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world, there's that life, or that world's uh, cesspool there, that's a stream of the world. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. We read of Israel in the Old Testament. And Israel spent most of their time chasing after false gods, idols. Idolatry was that horrible, big sin in their life. What were they doing? They were jumping headlong into the cesspool of the world. What kind of temptations cause us to want to jump in? and swim in those murky waters that stink so much? What is it that draws even Christians to want to jump into such a vile cesspool? I thought about it. Entertainment. We love to be entertained. Oh my goodness, entertainment is one of the wealthiest um, things going on today. There are billions and billions of dollars being spent on entertainment, and not just by the world. Christians like to be entertained as well. Riches. Power. Immorality. Etc., etc. What are the temptations of God's people? Those temptations that, that we say, oh, we can dabble with them and that's not going to affect us. We can do those things. Oh, we know that if God were here, He wouldn't appreciate it. But after all, so I say, in that cesspool are God's enemies. Because whosoever is a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Thirdly, in John 15, 18, and 19, If the world hate you, well, ye know that it hated me before it hated you, Jesus said. If ye were of the world, the world would love his own. But because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. So what's in that cesspool? Hatred for Christ and his followers. He said, I just want to be loved. I just want to be loved. Well, you're not going to find love with a solid Christian or solid Christian testimony in the world. 
by your refusal to participate in worldly activities like going to the bar, sinful movies, taking illicit drugs. By your refusal, you touch the nerve of the world's conscience that they will do anything to avoid, anything. They hate it when their conscience is stirred. So what's in that cesspool? Hatred for Christ and His followers. In 1 Corinthians 3.19, For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God, for it is written, He taketh the wise in their own craftiness. You know what's in that cesspool? Worldly wisdom devoid of God's wisdom. Worldly wisdom. Wisdom that is not found in the Word of God, for instance. Hallmark's famous, follow your heart. <laughs> Over the years, I've had to clean up so many messes, or try to clean up so many messes, by people who simply followed their heart. Two young people, madly in love, convinced it's God's will that they spend eternity together even though both parents, such of parents, are against it, even though one is saved and one is not. But we've prayed about it, Pastor Outler. We know that it must be right. Why? Because we feel right about it. You know what's in the, the cesspool of the world? Worldly wisdom. Galatians 1.4 says, Who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from this present evil world, according to the will of God and our Father. So what's in the cesspool? Evil is. <laughs> what is this evil? I looked it up. In describing the world, it's called evil here. This particular word evil means hurtful, diseased, morally derelict. Vicious, bad, lewd, malicious. It's an appropriate description of the world in which we live. Whether you're watching a football game, basketball game, or whatever, it's amazing what the world thinks they can broadcast in front of you for commercials and get by with it. It's amazing the lewdness that has now become so commonplace on TV. We live in a wicked world. In fact, in 1 John 5, 19, it says, We know that we are of God, and the whole world lieth in wickedness. Well, it's the same word as evil, very same word. Lieth in wickedness, or lieth in evil. So this, this, this stream that I'm describing, the stream that runs contrary to the life of Christ, is filled with all these spiritual organisms. But yet, I have not found one that's good for you. Not one. In 2 Peter 1.4, Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature. Ah, the life stream of Christ. Having escaped the corruption that is in the world. 
through lust. Here are those two streams in the same verse. What is in the stream of the world? Corruption through lust. This word lust is, means a longing for or a desire for that which is forbidden. In John 8, 44, ye are of your father the devil and the lusts of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own for he's a liar and the father of it. The lusts of your father, the devil, he said, ye will do. What's in the world? Corruption through lust. In Revelation 12, 9, the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Deception is in the world. Since the Garden of Eden, Satan's been telling us that we can sin and get by with it. Oh, you won't be caught. It won't hurt you. You can have what you want. After all, you deserve it, the devil says. And then in John 12, 31, now, or as a result of Christ's death and resurrection, now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. See, there's a future destruction by judgment in the world's cesspool. The devil and all who will follow him will be cast out forever to live in pain and darkness. The corrupt stream of the world is filled with abominable, detestable things. For just a moment, look into the beautiful, clear, clean, refreshing stream of the life of Christ. Oh, it's glorious. It's wonderful. Ah. Oh, you can, oh, it's transforming. It's incredible. I'm so refreshed, energized by the life of Christ. But for some crazy reason, our flesh is drawn to that stinky, smelly, worthless stream of the world. Why? would we be so foolish? Why would we be so ignorant and dumb to waste our time in that cesspool when we have all of these incredible blessings in the life of Christ? The Bible teaches us to not love the world. Love not the world. Neither the things that are in it. In Colossians 3.1 it says, If ye then be risen with Christ, Seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. We and I, we need to desire higher things. We need to change our wanter. What is it that you want? Well, early on in the message, or about when we started the service, I said, what is it that you need from God? What is it that you need God to do in your life? The Bible says, set your affection on things above. 
Your life should be consumed. Your heart should be wrapped around, not the world. Ah, that which is above. I enjoy sports. I enjoy watching football, college, NFL. Uh, I, I enjoy football. I like, I like watching uh, basketball. I have not yet been converted to hockey yet, and I apologize for that. Maybe someday. I really enjoy it. It's a lot of fun. But I don't get anywhere near as excited over a football game as I do the truths that God reveals to me out of his word. Desire higher things. What are those higher things? Well, we should desire souls one to Christ. It's a higher thing. We should desire investments in God's work. We should desire good deeds done. We should desire searching God's word for buried treasure. Higher things. Now, I know a lot of it is because of my age. I'm older now than I used to be. Many of you are. Now at this particular age, it's easier for me to look into the next life, <laughs> my real life, eternal life. It's easier than it was when I was in my 20s and 30s. Back then, life was too consuming for me. We had kids, little kids, and trying to grow them, and trying to start a career, and all those things. It just life was going so fast. But now at this age, at this age, a lot of my life is passed me by. A lot of my friends, family, are already in eternity. It's become so real now for me that now, partly because of my age, the truths of God's Word are so much more real and alive for me. But don't wait till you're my age to gain an affection for things above. Whatever age you're at, learn to crave those things that can account for eternity. And don't let those things that are of the world consume your life so much. Oh, but pastor, I got to work. Yes, work. Yes, you need to work. We were created to work. I've got these responsibilities. Yes, welcome to life. But don't let all those responsibilities and cares strip you from setting your affection on things above. In 1 Timothy 6.10, it says, For the love of money is the root of all evil, which some, while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Avoid money traps. Avoid them. So many have sold their spiritual vitality for things. They are bound now because they've spent so much money. They're in so much debt. They're bound now by those things. They have no energy left. They're so pressed because of that. No energy left for good and godly things. How often do we justify missing church for work? Is it truly justified? And I know people in both camps. Some folks that have to work and miss church. I also know some folks who miss church and don't have to work. Not mine to judge. 
It's you standing before your judge and asking him. You know, missionaries would starve to death if it weren't for the generous support of spirit-filled givers. Romans 12, 2, And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You and I need to be transformed, not conformed. Notice, there's your two streams again. In the life of Christ, we are transformed. In the cesspool of the world, we are conformed. What is the world? Well, it's the Greek word cosmos. It refers to the world system apart from Christ. So well, what, what's, what's, what, what's out there? When we think of out there, that mentality apart from Christ, swimming in the polluted waters of the world, conforms us into its image. Oh, it's a dangerous place to be. You come out of it full of disease, with mental illnesses, emotional problems, and fears of every kind. That is what the result of swimming in the world's cesspool is. While swimming in the life of Christ, this life stream, <laughs> you come out with love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. Oh. The end of verse 15 says, If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. If any man love the world, there's no room for the Father's love. If my cup is full of loving things and loving what goes on in the world, there's no place for God to put his love. What is the Father's love? Well, it's sacrificial for others. In John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave. He's a sacrificing God on our behalf. He gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. In 1 John 3.16, it says, Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he hath laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. God's love gives of itself to meet the needs of others. God's love has no bounds. We are to live our lives as channels of his love to those around us. When, uh, when my daughter Katie had her baby here, what, nine months ago or so, something like that, uh, we got the privilege of visiting Brad and Katie shortly after uh, Daniel was born. Wonderful, wonderful time. But it was so interesting because the church they were going to found out that she had delivered, and they started bringing a meal by. Every day, they brought a meal by. Every day while we were there, there was a new meal that brought by, which meant a new dessert every day. You might not know this, but we are unable to finish off a complete dessert in one day. Sometimes it takes us two or three days to finish off a dessert. So now, by the end of our time there, we had all these incredible desserts. They were going crazy. I never thought I would say this, but I said, too much dessert. But you know what? 
it wasn't so much the food, it wasn't so much the desserts, it was the fact that they showed their love to my kids. It was like taking a great big hug and just saying, we love you and we're going to show it to you because we're going to bring some food to you. You see, the Father's love is sacrificial to others. The world is out for itself. The world's selfish. The world doesn't give, it takes. Verse 16 says, for all that is in the world. So what is in the world? What is in the world system apart from Christ? Well, I read for you a whole lot of things, but here's what this verse says. All that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Notice what three things this says is in the cesspool of the world. First of all, the lust of the flesh. In Ephesians 2.2, 2, it says, Wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we had our conversation in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. You see, the lust of the flesh, that which is in the world, is a disobedience to the Spirit of God. It's saying no to His speaking to my heart. It's saying no to Him working in my conscience. I'm going to have my way. Disobedience to the Spirit of God. In 1 Peter 2.11, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against the soul. You see, there's a war going on. A war for control of your soul. The lust of the flesh is fighting for control of your soul. In Mark 4.19, the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the lusts of other things entering in, what happens? It chokes the word, and it becometh unfruitful. Becometh unfruitful. The word of God becomes unfruitful? How can that be? Because the lusts that I followed choked it out. Has God been speaking to you out of this word lately? Has he been illuminating the word of God to you? Oh, has it been such that you can't wait to get back in God's word because it's so alive? Or can you even remember the last time that God spoke to you out of his word? It's been so long. But here we're told that one of the reasons the Bible is not open to us is because of the lusts of the flesh. And where are they found? In the cesspool of the world. The second category that's in the world is the lust of the eyes. There's not a one of us that needs teaching on this. We know what it is. Matthew 5, 28, But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already. Did you notice the last of the verse says, In his heart? You see, the lust of the eyes is a heart problem. You say, oh, no, it's not. It's an eye problem. No, it's not. It's a heart problem. Because what he sees goes right to his heart. 
and out of the heart are the issues of life. Lust of the eyes becomes a heart problem and also leads to greater sin. You see, Eve brought her husband along. In Genesis 3, 6, And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to eyes and a tree to be desired of to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also to her own husband with her. And he did eat. It leads to greater sin, the lust of the eyes. Eve brought her husband along in sin. The problem with the lust of the eyes is the more you see, the more you want. There's not a satisfaction. No matter what Mick Jagger said in the song, there is no satisfaction in the world. No satisfaction. In Joshua 721 when I saw among the spoils a goodly Babylonish garment and 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold of 50 shekels weight, then I coveted them and took them, and behold, they are hid in the earth in the midst of my tent and the silver under it. Old Achan couldn't stand it when he saw all that merchandise in there, all that wealth. His eyes saw, he lusted, revealed a heart problem. The more he saw, the more he wanted. Thirdly is the pride of life. The pride of life. Colossians 2.8, Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. Here's worldly wisdom. Worldly wisdom. Like public schools teaching now that there was no holocaust. Like them teaching that there should be no limitations on sexual behavior. That you are now free to choose your own gender. Even if you are in preschool. <laughs> Worldly wisdom. Apart from God. An affront to God's wisdom. The pride of life. The, the deceitful responsibility here of believing that accomplishments were solely our doing. Look what we did. Look what we accomplished without giving any credit to God. Remember old Nebuchadnezzar? Daniel 4.30, the king Nebuchadnezzar spake and said, Is not this great Babylon? that I have built for the house of the kingdom by the might of my power and for the honor of my majesty. The Bible says, while the word was in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven saying, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to thee it is spoken, the kingdom is departed from thee. and They shall drive thee from men and thy dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make thee to eat grass as oxen, and seven times shall pass over thee, until thou know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men, and giveth it to whomsoever he will. You see, God's pretty serious about us giving him glory. Us crediting him with the successes in our lives. 
In Isaiah 12, 2, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid, for the Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song. He also has become my salvation. God is my all. He is everything. Here I am thinking that I am something. Look what I did. Yeah, what I did is just reveal that I got a serious spiritual heart problem. Because look what God did. And then as a shrewd substitute, the pride of life. In Matthew 4, 8, again, The devil taketh him, Jesus, up into an exceeding high mountain, and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. Interesting, the devil tempted Jesus with something that would be his anyway. The Father soon gave Jesus all power, all authority, in heaven and earth, following his resurrection and the defeat of Satan's power. Had Jesus fallen for Satan's deceit, he would have become Satan's servant. When we fall from Satan's temptations, we become Satan's servants as well. Lastly, verse 17, And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Let's go back to our two streams. This incredibly gorgeous, refreshing life stream of the life of Christ. Just looking at it is so refreshing. There's a fresh smell about it. Oh, it's glorious. Look over there. Look over there. That, that other stream. That one that you can't even see into. It's so murky. That one over there, the Bible says, is going to be destroyed completely. Destroyed. While this stream will go on forever. That means everything I partook of out of that stream over there will be destroyed. All of the energies, all of my heart that I wrapped around those things in the world's stream will all be destroyed. But ah, as I gave myself to those incredible spiritual nutrients in the lifestyle of Christ, they'll last forever. Forever. Two streams. One stream is waiting for you right now. Waiting. Oh, they're not going to splash themselves on you. They're waiting there for you to come and find them. The other stream is continually hollering out to you with a siren's voice, tempting you, alluring you, lying to you. Which stream which stream will you partake of? I wish I could tell you that just because you're a Christian, you will live your life in the life stream of Christ. I wish I could tell you that. But I've known too many Christians whose lives have turned out destroyed. Unless they've moved, I could take you to a place in the south or there's quite frankly a very lonely man. Didn't start out that way. The life of the party. 
every time there was an activity, everybody just gathered around this particular person. He was a leader, a spiritual leader. But little by little, the world started attracting him. He was no longer satisfied. Dipping more and more out of the world. So tragically, one time, I come to find out he had been inappropriate with somebody in the church. He moved away. Did that correct him? No, it just gave him a greater appetite. Come to find out a couple years later, he's divorced. Now, quite frankly, miserable. Why? Because partaking in that one is a life of destruction. It doesn't seem to at the first. It seems like it's exactly what you want. But the problem is it is given to you by a liar. But I can take you to somebody else on the far side of the country who, who, who quite frankly, didn't have a whole lot of what the world has to offer. They didn't live in a big home. They didn't make a whole lot of money. But they dedicated their lives to serving others and to worshiping God. They knew they weren't much. They weren't real talented. They didn't have a lot of, of what the world would say, wow, you're really something. They just stayed faithful. But you will not meet, today, you will not meet a more blessed and joyful individual. Because what they have partaken in will last forever. As you sit there right now, what have you been drinking out of? Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you this morning for the availability of this life stream of Christ. The life of Christ. Lord, all the wonderful things that are found therein, but Lord... Our flesh is so drawn to the cesspool of the world. Thank you, Lord, for this analogy that you placed in your word. Help us to see it clearly on a daily basis, how the world stream is going completely contrary, how the world stream is deceptive, and there's no good thing in it, only lies. It doesn't always seem as fun to drink out of the life stream of Christ. It seems sometimes like we're missing out on life. But oh, that life stream of Christ is so full of spiritual nutrients. Help us, Lord, to live our life off of your life. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. I do not know in what way the Spirit of God has spoken to your heart this morning, but I ask at the very beginning for him to speak to every heart here. What stream are you drinking out of this morning? What is captivating your heart? What excites you when you start talking? What is that which is first and foremost on your mind? Which life stream are you being filled up with?
I trust that as a result of this morning, this reminder that you will once again commit yourself to drinking from the crystal clear waters of the life of Christ. I wonder, does somebody come in this morning not knowing for sure that when they die, they're going to go to heaven? Oh, this life stream is available for you in eternal life, living forever. Jesus paid for that life stream as he died on the cross. Do you know for sure that if you die tonight, you go to heaven? If you don't know, I'd sure like to pray for you. Oh, I'd never embarrass you, but I pray for you. But anyone say with an uplifted hand, Pastor, would you pray for me? I do not know for sure that heaven is my home when I die, but I want to know. Would you pray for me? Anyone like that? Put their hand up. I can see it. And back down. Who would say, Pastor, pray for me? I don't know for sure I'm saved, but I want to know. Dear Lord Jesus, thank you for this sweet time, and I pray that you might continue the work that I believe you've already begun. And Lord, may the rest of our lives be drinking out of your life. Thank you, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.